Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. I'm Jake, and we have a really great episode you know what's, for you. You know what's funny? It's, what's that? I say hey guys a lot. Like my buddies, when I walk in the room, go, hey guys, when I walk in the room. So I thought <laughs> that's maybe, your tagline? That's my, maybe I should get a t-shirt that says, hey, hey guys. guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So what do we got coming up on the show? Yeah, this is a really cool episode. Um, this is another history story for those of you that know. We do uh, some in-depth history segments every once in a while. And so this is going to be the true story of a renowned super cartooner who got mixed up in the criminal underworld. That sounds great. We've also got some news. And if we have time, we've got a listener question that we're going to answer as well. So awesome. what's what's been going on with you in the uh, Siberian north of Minnesota? What's so it is historically cold here in Minneapolis this week. As everybody knows. I'm sure they do. But, but here's I think, the thing. Have you noticed that everybody here is just like, oh, it's so cold. Oh, we're suffering. But elsewhere around the country, it's like, oh, there's an earthquake or everything's on fire or there's a hurricane. So this is all we get is we get a little bit of right. cold. Elsewhere, people's houses are getting floated down the street or burned. I mean, sure. Is, but in Florida, you probably saw the news story where they're like, it's going to be very cold in Florida. Everyone needs to bundle up and limit your exposure outside because it's going to be 50 degrees out. Yeah, but still, I mean, negative 30 degrees, negative 20 degrees. You can still be outside. You can still go in your house and turn the heat on. It's Did not, you know everybody's treating it like it's a natural disaster. Well, it's and historically it's, cold out. Like it's only been colder a couple times. Yeah, but so it what? was the coldest place on Earth earlier this week that's, right here in that's, Minneapolis. That's that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> like, get, yeah, I'll someone showed that. like, oh, Antarctica and like the North Pole and everything else was all warmer. Than so us. the diesel wouldn't start. Because of, because of the cold, the it's just the battery. The, world. the battery was the problem. It just was right. like, whoa, 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 and just that was at the, the the truck started no problem. That right. was no big deal. But the diesel would not start. I had to so jump start it. Do you have the like winter blend diesel fuel in there? Oh, that's what you pump at the pump. Right. The winter I just blend. didn't know like if you pumped up in the summer and hadn't driven it, I bet then your fuel would gel. It would just be full of gel. There wasn't always uh, winter blend fuel. Sometimes, right. depending on the stations, you actually had to add the diesel nine one one stuff in your in your your tank. I had to do that when I had a rabbit back in the day. I guess that was coming up on too many years ago now. So uh, we're not going to talk about so, that. So yeah, your your car didn't start. No, nope, didn't start. It maybe, started this morning. It maybe was, you needed to get one of those small little Odyssey batteries that I put in the 911. Guaranteed not to start then. <laughs> guaranteed not to start. Yeah. No. So speaking of cars not starting, people at my office are going out every few hours last couple of days to make sure their car starts so they can reduce the cold amp they go out to the parking garage they cart they start their car sitting it for like two minutes and they're like okay we're good and this is the stupidest thing well, to do. So they're reducing their uh, their battery's cold cranking amps every time they do this. Right. So, but by the time they actually go start their car, <laughs> they have far I know, less so I don't amperage know left. If their assumption is, oh, I'll start it and it'll like charge up right away and be good to go. That's not how things work. No, because you're using more amperage to get the car started through your starter how than you are amps, charging it. How many amps is a starter? I don't know, and it's I should have looked be, this up. Ahead it's got to be somewhere between 60 and 80 amps. Okay, and the bigger question is, how long does it take to charge your battery up at from idle draw, right. from that draw? Yeah, Because oh, your battery while. doesn't charge that quickly at idle. Not when it's negative 20. You're already, you've already reduced the, your, your, the length of time you can crank your car, because you'll get that 12 volts right away on and your then battery. it'll just drop. Yeah, and then it drops off. The voltage drops off very, very quickly. Right. The reserve isn't there to continue. Yeah, that makes know. sense. I'm just curious, even in best case conditions, like your alternator isn't turning that quickly at idle. So how many well, it's not amps necessarily is that about, out? 
it's it's not there's a voltage regulator in, in your alternator sure. so it's going to produce 14 volts or whatever 13.7 right. volts or whatever it's supposed to anyway regardless of how fast it's spinning yeah um sometimes if you get a really big load on an engine it'll drop the rpms down below like 500 and then you'll start to see your voltage kind of you know taper that's off why the bit. guys with the huge stereos and amps have to run an auxiliary alternator or too. a capacitor they'll run oh, capacitors really? yeah to, to handle some of the bigger hits on the audio so yeah that's really stupid and it doesn't it do stupid. anything well and here's the other thing even if like best case scenario somehow oh that did charge every battery right away if you're letting your car sit in the cold from this bitter cold and not getting up to full operating temperature you're not doing it in your favors no you're not because guess what condensation is the enemy of lubrication and i came up with that on the way over here okay so i'm I'm like (laughs) trademarking that all right because unless you sell that to our buddy over at liquid there you go i like that so yeah if your car is slowly warming up in this cold it's you're forming condensation in the engine you know how I know that's that, true. How? Because having sex in the shower is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> there it goes. It works on multiple levels. Yeah, it works. So anyways, not good for your engine and not good for your battery. Right. Don't do that. Okay. Um, also, I, so you got some dumb tires. Uh, no, I got great tires. So I, you sent me a picture of your tires. Yeah. What are they? So these are Yokohama Advan AO 48s in okay. a 225 50 by 15, okay. which most people that won't What's mean a, anything. It's of aggressive size that it fits. It's cool. Like that looks yeah, really looks good, good, beefy. And they're as sticky as 13 year old Chris's sock drawer. These things <laughs> are like. No, tacky. no. So what is the treadwear rating on these? No clue. Like zero. It's got to be 80. I bet it's sure. like an 80 or a 90 treadwear tire. Here's the thing. How much horsepower does your car have? Like nine? 210. Okay, so you've no, it doesn't. Isn't it? No. It's either 210 or 120. I get it mixed it's, up. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 120 you horsepower. Can't blame me. I'm just being a little. Here's relaxing. the problem: is you you that it's going to track poorly. I don't mean on the track. I mean going driving no, down the road. Yeah, like it's going to drive poorly. Why? All the time. The get an alignment. No, it I'm going to get an alignment. That's fine, it's but it doesn't. Great. The way that the tread blocks are lined up, there are no tread blocks on that tire. Yeah, there it's, are. No, it's no, barely. There's like two. Yeah, one on each like, side. It's like grooved in. <laughs> the only reason there's some sort of tread block is so it can be DOT certified that right. there's something. There's no siping for water. So in the rain, they're going to be awful. Anytime the temperature drops below 60 degrees at night, they're going to be awful. Chris, Driving down the Chris. freeway, I'm not done. Okay. Driving down the freeway, they're going to be awful. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be useless to drive anywhere outside of Minneapolis. So if you want to go on a road trip, you have to take them off and run just regular replica Fuchs that you picked up on Craigslist instead. So your cool wheels have sticky tires on it that aren't really useful for you because you're not autocrossing it. You're not taking it to the track. So you have these nice, aggressive looking tires that serve no purpose for you whatsoever. None. They look awesome. That you could get a really square shoulder. You could get a different tire. Like my tires are nice and beefy and look nah. good too. Yeah. Nah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Economy car tires. That's what those look like. They are economy car tires, <laughs> but you know what's fun? Being loose. So what you're telling me is I should uh, maybe put these on my Fuchs yes. and then get different tires. Yes. For that way you can put. I you, wouldn't feel terrible about that because then I'm not, you, you know, wasting them. Because you would be. Cool You'd be driving back and forth to them on work or go to get you're dinner right. or whatever. And you're getting no use. And this, I'm saying this. Yes, from experience, oh, okay. because I put some sticky tires on my car and it ruined it. It absolutely ruined it. It wasn't fun anymore. Yeah, it was it was too good. It wasn't loose. It wasn't right. free to drift around and skid around and 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 enjoy. It was like 
oversteer was snap oversteer. The tires would let go. Oh, and right. Was, so you're you're like grip, 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 grip. And then no transition. It's all just gone. You're dead. Right. Yeah. So if, I'm just telling you. Which on my like 15 year old uh, super hard tires, that was fun because that was all transition. There was no grip. It was just always <laughs> sliding. I'm sure. So we'll see how that goes. And I was, you know, I was thinking about this. This might be stupid, but on the way over here, because you always razz me about, you know, different things I do to my car and everything else. You mean everything you do to your I just car. said everything I do on my car okay, and everything right. else. Um, and I realized that my car or project car philosophy, like any of my project cars that I'm working on or, you know, that I modify, I usually bring it too far. Yes. And then I'll come back a little bit. So I think what I'm telling you is I need to go too far with this on my you, own and then I'll come back to, so okay, when are here's you coming, where it should be. When are you coming back? Because Probably not me. for the next like couple of years. <laughs> because you've already gone too far in my opinion. <laughs> so when are we coming back? It'll be a while. Let okay. you know when I'm on the return path. <laughs> okay. Once you realize I'm right. That yeah. Is, so like case in point, I spent like two full nights polishing my cooling fan. And I don't know why you did that. <laughs> it looks really shiny. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have this super shiny engine fan and nothing in a, in a dirty <laughs> engine compartment right that's that's great i don't understand that's kind of my uh philosophy i guess so when i met jess my Mm -hmm. wife she polished my intake manifold of my of my volkswagen for me it was a pretty big step in our relationship i was gonna say that's how you know she was the one she was the one (laughs) (laughs) all right well before we get into our main segment here we got to talk about Patreon. Yes. A lot of you guys know that we're on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash overcrest. And we've got exclusive episodes for you guys. Yes. We so, just had our first one and got great feedback on it. And I appreciate all the new patrons that signed up since we started doing that. So Right. Let um, us know what you think of that. Spread the word about how cool that exclusive content is. It was another history story for you that you certainly wouldn't have heard of. It's the, uh, what is it? The most dangerous fuel you had never heard of. That's right. That's right. told us about. And uh, you also get... You're the first to hear new episodes. We post them up there before we get them online. Yep. Uh, you can get a T-shirt from us as a Patreon member. We also have them on the store online. Uh, and uh, do you have any prints left, Chris? You were giving gone. away. I gave away prints. all the prints. Okay. The prints well, we gone. might have to do another run of those or something. Yeah, we'll figure effect. something out. So uh, please hit us up there. Patreon.com slash Overcrest. We also are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And most importantly, if you like this podcast, Chances are your friends will too. Right. Don't be selfish. Spread the word. Absolutely. All right. So let's get to it. Let's get into this, this Gimbala thing. (laughs) Yeah. This is a story that I've seen posted around, but I don't know it at all. So I'm really, really excited to hear it. Okay. So Uwe Gimbala was born in Germany in 1959. Now, this would have sounded a lot more cool or impressive if I had found his middle name, something like Uwe Hans Ferdinand Gunther Gambala V. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, not much is written about this guy. Okay. And so that's what makes this story kind of interesting. So he's a bit of an enigma. He is. So much of his early years, especially, is a mystery. We do know that it began his career on motorcycles, racing in the weekends uh, in the 70s while still attending high school. Okay, so he was into motocross racing or motorcycle racing. I don't know if it was dirt or like trial bikes or something. Um, But at some point along the line, safety concerns prompted him to switch to racing cars. That seems to be the thread for a lot of motorcycle guys. (laughs) They see some guy just like too many bones. He's broken too many bones, or his buddy had about three inches shaved off his hip, and then he's all these. He's seen enough. We have heard that before. So the story goes, he was drawn to Porsches because he's in Germany, and they offered a quote bike esque mechanical connection. 
right? So that makes sense. You're used to like being like man and machine, that interaction on sure. a motorcycle is kind of as close as you can get. Yeah. Well, the Porsche is a very unique engine that's, you know, has to be operated properly and it has to, you know, it's if, Different if, if any engine is like a watch, it's, it's an old air cooled Porsche. Motor. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah. They're very sensitive and to tolerances and everything else. Right. And watches are really shiny and polished. Like my engine fan. Let's just move on away okay. from that. So speaking of 9-11s, he bought his first 9-11 while still in school. They didn't say high school. I think it was probably college. And before long, he started to modify it and tinker with it. And apparently, <laughs> unfortunately for anybody, hey, with, hey. With, unfortunately <laughs> for anyone with eyes, <laughs> come on now. So apparently some of his custom modifications garnered attention. And he decided to start selling From some who? of his concepts. <laughs> From who? Who's Settle down. <laughs> the jokes can hold out here. Okay. So from the from there, things started to really pick up and grow. His work mainly consisted of bespoke interior modifications okay. at the time. So he focused not only on Porsches, but included custom trim work and electronics for BMWs as well. So that's for people that had poor taste, but didn't want everyone to see how bad their right. taste was because it was well, only the interior at the time. Keep in mind, this is late <laughs> 70s early 80s like car stereos are just becoming like a thing you can right. swap out and modify I, I love old car stereo stuff it's I do too amazing. I had the old what was it was it a pioneer equalizer that they mounted in the trunk of my old 79 nice. MG nice. and so it had like the individual little channels where yep. you toggle it up and down so it's kind of that sort of stuff I imagine and then in 1981 the, the Gambala name was officially registered so the company was incorporated and based in Leonberg, which is near Stuttgart, Germany. And that same year in 81 also marked the debut of, quote, complete aerodynamic programs oh. for Porsche <laughs> 911, 924 and 928 models, a.k.a. body kits. Yeah. Yeah. So now in the 80s, he's making a name for himself with custom interiors and the stereos for Porsche and also developed these full body kits to go along with it. Then in 1985, Gimbala debuts its first line of ready-to-purchase cars. So the iconic Avalanche and its convertible counterpart, the Cirrus, were basically Porsche 930s, so the 911 Turbo of the era, with wild interiors and body kits. So were they stock otherwise? Did they do anything with the engines on these uh, things? Yes. Where is that? I get to it here in a minute, so I'll get there. Okay. Um, but this was the 80s. And the Coke fuel playboys who had enough <laughs> money and wanted to stand out loved these things. You have to be on cocaine to think they look They're good. crazy, right? You got to be on drugs. It's like every side strike from a Testarossa and the slant hood is even more slanty. It's like and if, if you imagine. A, if, so if you've never seen a Gimbala before, you should look it up. But right. if I could tell you what it is, okay. it's basically if you imagine the lead singer of a hairband. <laughs> But a car. Right. That's exactly what they are. They're on drugs. They got tons of makeup on. Their hair is all over the place. And they're screaming into a microphone. That is. That is a really good analogy. That is a good And that's that's 80s. And yeah. So it kind of, you know, the all styling all kind of fits in together. That does. And with a price of nearly $700,000 in what? 1985. Are you kidding me? Yes. I had no idea they were that expensive. It was clearly aimed at those flaunting their wealth. The most famous owner of which being. Vanilla Ice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Vanilla Ice buys one. Yep. Right? So <laughs> just listen to this for a second. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> um, so $700,000. How many of them did they sell? I don't know. I don't know production numbers or anything else they here. They couldn't have sold that many. I don't know. 
Here. I just I imagine I thought this was all body kits. Gimbala. I thought it was all body kits. I didn't know that they actually sold cars. Yeah. Too. Yep. Okay. Um, Gambala. What did I say? Avalanche. Nine thirty. We'll figure it out later. There's Don't worry about there. it. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's something. All right, though. You got to look these up. Okay. So each Avalanche model was back was based off a stock Porsche 911 Turbo, like I said, and extensively modified by Gambala with unique body panels all around. They basically almost did unique body panels on every single corner of the car. I think uh, the doors were the same in the it's, roof. It's ugly, man. It. it is ugly. They had, the rear window, it, it is ugly. Ugly. <laughs> they had bespoke God, interiors ugly. filled with the latest technology for the time, and mechanical modifications were handled by roof with cars being finished to their customer requirements. Well, that's kind of cool. But imagine this. Imagine you're you're Mr. Gambala, right? Right. And you, your whole life you've been drawing pictures and, you, you know, drawing pictures of cars. And then okay. pretty soon you're doing it. It's like he's six years old designing cars. Right. Because look, his tastes haven't really <laughs> grown is what no, you're saying. It's almost like the cars are melting a little bit, too. Yeah. Yep. Right. The, the uh, Salvador Dali of Porsche 911. Yeah, basically. So then in, okay, what's interesting though, with what I just said, they were handled by roof, the modifications with cars being finished to customer requirements, which means you could get a Gambala and just say, you know what? I don't want to spend any of that money though to upgrade the performance. So not all of them were actually upgraded. Okay. So a lot of them could have been just body kits. Looks like one of these was for sale at RM Sotheby's in 2017. And the estimate was $145,000 to $180,000. So Vanilla Ice, not a good <laughs> investment. I, I almost want to double check car. that that 700000 figure now. Yeah. But that's what I read. Okay. Well, okay. the internet's always right. Right. <laughs> so, okay. Well, fast forwarding to 1989, Gimbala started receiving special requests from specific countries, especially the United Arab Emirates, resulted in Gambala carrying out development work on upgraded air conditioning systems. Go ahead. Okay. So I just looked. Yeah. Uh, it debuted in 1985, and this right. is from this is from RM Sotheby's website for 390,000 Deutschmarks. Okay. Which is seven hundred thousand yeah, so dollars in I 1989. <laughs> Okay, okay, there we go. That, that they really were believed believed to be one of 15 examples produced. So there's 15 of them. Oh, okay. So okay. they're exceedingly rare. Yeah, exceedingly right. rare. So in 89, Gambala started working with countries like the UAE, and they were, what did they want? They wanted custom development work on air conditioning systems because well, Gambala air conditioning system? Air conditioning, isn't that great? So no, yeah, get your Gambala air conditioning. Uh, they also installed bespoke multimedia systems, fax machines, and other specialist equipment. <laughs> I will say that again. You could get a fax machine <laughs> in your coked out 911. I'm just imagining like... <laughs> oh, hold on, honey. Hold on, My let's... fax is coming through. Sell all the stocks. Sell them all. I mean, it had to be just mounted in where the back seat is, right? I have no idea, but I'm just imagining some stockbroker like getting faxes while he's yeah. like driving around coked out of his mind. That is listening awesome. To, listening to Poison on the so tape deck. That is so cool. With the, with the blaupunked gooseneck stereos with the UV meters is like <laughs> blasting back and forth. <laughs> All right. So Gambala continued to modify Porsche through the 90s and 2000s with similar levels of, we'll call it brash styling and questionable taste. Um, I do have to add that they started performing their own mechanical tuning in-house. So that's cool, I guess, for the yeah. more mechanically minded amongst us. Uh, however, through all this, Uwe Gambala himself remained somewhat 
enigmatic. For a guy who builds ridiculously loud cars for the most ostentatious people out there, Uwe was seemingly quiet and reserved. I mean, at the very least, he stayed out of the limelight and the news. Like, there's not that much out there about him. So because of this, the story I'm going to tell you is more about the people that surrounded him and the company just as much as it is about Uwe himself. Okay. So... Cut to new scene. Now, this is part now, of the now, movie. That we, now that we've talked shit about Gambala right. forever. So this is the part of the movie where we cut to a new scene and start this other sideline story. Okay? okay. So on April 21st, 2007, South African police and secret service agents detained a man at Tambo International Airport. The man had a Seychelles passport identifying as him as Egbert Julius Savvy traveling from Madagascar. The passport, it turned out, had been, quote, purchased along with actual Seychelles citizenship for $25,000 from the island's government. So as a sidebar here, I had to look this up. So Seychelles is a small East African island nation. So of of course you can just buy citizenship there. So, okay. But as it turned out, the man had been flagged by Interpol as a fugitive wanted in the Czech Republic for fraud and conspiracy to commit murder. The man's real name was Radovan Krajer. Remember that name. Radovan Krajer. Okay. So he had been on the run from his homeland since 2005 and had finally run out of luck or perhaps found a new beginning. (laughs) So for six weeks, he was held in the Kempton Park Police Jail. There, he met a man named Luca who had been arrested on charges of fraud and possession of $8 million worth of stolen goods. What? How do you possess $8 million worth of stolen goods? Well, if you're in Africa, maybe it was blood diamonds. Yeah, maybe. Good point. It could be diamonds. I was just like picturing an arm full of Rolexes (laughs) and then like the other arm is full of like gold bracelets. I don't know. I don't know. So that guy would definitely own a Gimbala avalanche. (laughs) For sure. Right. So when Crazier was finally released on bail of $1 million, Luca was there waiting for him. Hmm. The men had, quote, spent about a month in the same cell and obviously formed a close relationship. Luca was well-connected in South Africa and introduced Krasier to many people, including bankers and businessmen of questionable moral fortitude. So besides crime, Krasier also enjoyed expensive cars. It was at a Ferrari event where he met a guy named Lolly Jackson. Jackson was one of these guys that just had like a magnetic personality. Like there was a couple different stories, super charismatic. And these two guys just hit it off immediately. Crazier eventually moved into a $30 million mansion just down the street from Jackson. This is on that island. No, this is in South Africa. Oh, Okay, so this okay, so those thirty million dollars right. in Africa is pretty. That's yeah, that's up there. <laughs> yeah, I imagine right. So uh, where am I? Crazier was known to conduct business at the Bedford Center Harbor Restaurant. So we had like a restaurant hangout, okay, where he'd just meet with people. He would quote hold court there behind a bulletproof screen, often with Jackson at his side. Outside, the two men's why, supercars were vying for attention. Why does he need a bulletproof, bulletproof screen? He, as we'll find out, is literally the mobster of South Africa. Okay, that explains it. Yes. <laughs> the pair were also known to compete by giving each other lavish gifts. Jackson once gave Crazier a guitar signed by U2's Bono with over 250 grand. Their lifestyles were beyond extravagant. 
Quote, they are fixated on fast cars, beautiful women, and inordinate quantities of Jägermeister and bottles of expensive champagne. They didn't mention Coke, but I imagine that's also on the list. Hey, it has to be. So Kaiser is reputed to have spent a hundred grand on a single bar bill at his birthday party. How much? A hundred grand. That's not that much. I mean, For come a on. Bar bill? Come on. One couple, couple one, bottles of whatever. What do they okay. call it? I mean, well, I'm going to let you take me out this next year for my birthday, Chris. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a self proclaimed billionaire, he drew shady business in to him like moths to a flame. So, another side note here if you're a self proclaimed anything, it's probably not true. True, because if you have to proclaim it for yourself. Right. So yeah. self-proclaimed, quote, billionaire. <laughs> okay. Well, he did buy a $100,000 birthday party, so. Yeah, I guess that. so. Uh, enter Cyril Bika. Bika was the mob boss of the Cape Town underworld by night and a national security advisor to a courier company by day. So, like, double life. Yeah, I guess. Crazier got involved with Bika, illegally moving gold and uncut diamonds. See, there you go. Blood diamonds. It is yep. blood diamonds. There was a long list of associates and shadowy deals associated with Crazier in South Africa. There is no doubt he had local law enforcement and numerous politicians all on his payroll and in his pocket. So that's why he can just sit down at the local restaurant there behind his bulletproof screen <laughs> and I guess do shady deals. In an interview, Crazier later scoffed at suggestions that he was a mafia boss. Quote, people find me because they believe I've got money that I am an opportunity for them. So people are coming like a bee to honey. This guy really likes his analogies. Well, also, bees, honestly, bees make their own honey. I know. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to go find it. You'll find he's not the smartest either. <laughs> so regardless of what you call him, man also had made enemies, as you would working in the underworld. So this is actually a news story uh, from local coverage here that I'm going to play for you. Well, as I arrived to the office today morning, this I parked my car on the usual place. And uh, when I was walking out from the car, um, the next door car, which was parking on the parking lot, uh, was like a very loud noise, like a bomb. And after it was shooting a couple of the bullets uh, on my car. The car was standing there without any driver, without anybody. Somebody must know that I'm parking the car always on the same place. So that's why they, they leave this car there next to my car. I didn't know. I thought these are firecrackers, to be honest, because I was already um, from behind of the car. And now it's some noise. So I was just uh, surprised. I was on the phone, talking on the phone. And I was looking uh, what happened. But I thought it's a firecracker because I never see the side of the cars, which was full holes, you know, with, from the bullets. It was nothing. It was the, just inside the car. The car was parking and uh, behind the registration number was the barrels. Uh, I saw the barrels and from these barrels uh, went out. Uh so I'm going to pause here because you can't see the visual. So there's a car parked in this parking lot. He always parks in the same spot. Crazier does. Yep. As he's getting out of the car on the phone, he hears something. The car parked there behind him without anyone in it. There are literally, they show it behind the license plate on the rear bumper. It's just gun barrels. Jesus. So it's just shooting up his car remotely. So someone as someone could see and hit a button and this thing exactly. starts. Firing. And you would think that this guy <laughs> Who knows what gunfire sounds gunfire like, sounds like <laughs> considering he's a self-proclaimed mafia guy or whatever it is. Just billionaire. Just, just wait. What he has so to say about this. It's okay. no big deal, Chris. OK. Uh, bullets. 
what I suspect it was like uh, somebody had a remote control and when he saw me somewhere from the close distance and I was walking out he just pressed the remote control and the bullets went out all my life is like James Bond stuff <laughs> why do so you it's the usual stuff for me why do you say that <laughs> I don't know that's how I how I live my life yeah <laughs> So, so this is a regular occurrence for him? People having guns shoot out of their license plates for him? So he's comparing himself to James Bond. He's, yes, he is. He says, my whole life like this. I am James Bond. James I'm Bond, like James Bond. James Bond knows what a gun sounds like. He doesn't mistake a gun for firecrackers, first of all. Right. And it was like, this thing must have had a ton of rounds in it because the entire back of the car started to burn then. Okay. So I don't know. Anyways, so he compares himself to James Bond when in reality he's closer to a Bond villain. This actually, he's a really bad dude. So he's not a good guy. He's a really bad what dude. What is he? What is he? What is his? So crime? here's an excerpt from a book that covered some of Crazier's quote business dealings. His burnt body lay on the undercarriage of his overturned car. The only part still recognizable as human was his smooth skull, but even that was damaged. A scan later revealed that Ian Jordan's teeth had been smashed out. For the police, attorneys, and businessmen who had been in some way involved with Crazier, it's this image that still haunts them. The body of an innocent man lying on the car because everyone who had died so far had lived and died by the gun. Each one had in some way been part of the murky underworld of international crime. Crevin Treisman, a wheeler and dealer who claimed to be involved with intelligence. Lolly Jackson, a strip club king who was laundering money. Cyril Bika, a mafia boss who straddled the underworld of Cape Town and Joanberg. And Chris Courtney, a drug dealer. However, the charred remains of Crazier's latest victim was not some shady underworld player. He was the lawyer of Lolly Jackson's estate, the very man he had previously had killed. As Jackson's estate was being settled... Crazier demanded a share of the funds, claiming it was repayment of an outstanding loan. When Jordan rejected the bogus claim, he was murdered. Jesus. So let me reiterate that. He's, he had, Lolly Jackson was his best friend, right? Remember right. that? Yeah. The guys that like hit it off, they had their competing like gifts to each other. Yep. So he had his best friend killed for some reason, then Tried tries to, to get money tries to collect from the debt. guy's widow. When the widow's lawyer says that that's bogus, he has the lawyer tortured and killed. Wow. So this dude is an evil son of a bitch. Yeah, he is, has no moral compass whatsoever. None. So that's Crazier. Meanwhile, the world is reeling from the global financial crisis at this time. And as such, people's taste for ostentatious, so over-the-top Porsches seem to have waned. This so, is 08, 09. Okay. So in fact, our friend Uwe Gambala seems to have been falling on hard times throughout this. After all, I can't imagine buying a new Gambala is at the top of the list of every millionaire's budget when the right. economy's struggling. It like even if you want a fancy car, you're going to buy the Ferrari, not the Gambala, because you're kind of looking at your pocketbook a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. Right. So supposedly things were getting so dire that German authorities were now investigating Uwe and the Gambala business for tax evasion. They weren't paying their taxes. So things were looking pretty grim for the Porsche tuner. But as luck would have it, there was some new interest in opening a Gambala dealership in South Africa. Perfect. <laughs> um, I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy that'll give you a loan. 
you're not going to like the interest rate. Right. And he needs to be paid in diamonds. But right. we'll get it to you tomorrow. <laughs> so a man named Drone Safi was in contact with Uwe Gambala and told him that he had people ready to finance a local franchise. The funding up to $100 million was allegedly going to come from some guy named Radovan Kajer and his associate Lolly Jackson. Oh, boy. The new dealership would inject cash into the company and it was exactly what Kambala needed to remain solvent. Is there really that many people in South Africa that could buy? I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about the economy of South Africa, but it doesn't seem like it could support this type of very niche. I think you'll find they had ulterior motives to open okay. a dealership. Okay. All right. <laughs> so Uwe flew down to South Africa to meet with the Safi character. Uwe landed at Tambo International Airport near Johannesburg, South Africa on February 8th, 2010. Shortly after he arrived, Gambala's wife, Christiane, received three phone calls from her husband. He spoke in English, which was unusual as they always spoke to each other in German, being German. Right. Uwe was asking his wife to make a transfer of a million euros immediately. Okay, that's it was kind of a the red last flag, right? she ever heard from him. Did she do it? I don't know. Okay. But okay. Uwe's wife filed a missing persons report with both the South African and German authorities claiming her husband was abducted. So recap. Recap. Gambala's business is not going well. Not going well at all. He's going bankrupt, owes taxes, needs to do something desperate to get money, or he's right. probably going to German prison Prison. yeah Yeah. in the black forest somewhere who knows and (laughs) so he finds out i wonder who connected them do we know who we don't know who like the yeah the the facilitator was was. okay so he finds out it was a softy character right so he didn't deal exactly with crazier we're gonna build a new dealership in south africa but you're gonna need to come down here first right uh, well of course you would come down and see the land you'd like sign the paperwork you're not gonna do a deal for a hundred million without going there Right. So you bring you come down there, you get off the plane and then all of a sudden you emergency phone call your wife and say, I need a million euro now. And then that's it in a foreign language, mind you. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, yes. Red flag. Right. And then the phone got disconnected and that was it. All right. So under the news. <laughs> so the wife filled a missing persons report with both the South African and German authorities claiming her husband was abducted. However, the investigation was slow to be taken seriously, as many people speculated that Gambala had gone into hiding to avoid the German government and his creditors. Well, that's understandable. So here's how the timeline actually played out, because the rest of this is like a whirlwind and it gets confusing. Okay. So February 8th, Uwe flew to Johannesburg, calls his wife frantically asking for a million euros, and disappears. Eight days later, February 16th, the German government closes Gambala's facility and impounds all of the cars there, many of which were actually customer cars. Things not going well at home. No. February 19th, two weeks after Uwe goes missing, Interpol gets involved and starts investigating the disappearance for real. February 23rd, the Gambala company is forced to file for insolvency. This is just the lawyers for the company. The lawyers for the company, his board, whatever. March 5th, Uwe Gambala is now under investigation by authorities in Stuttgart on suspicion of financial impropriety. So they still kind of think that he just flew the coop. Right. Later that same day on March 5th. Do we know how much he owed? We don't. It's got to be a lot if they're just seizing everything. Right. 
So later that same day, Gambala's family suspends a reward that they had been offering for information regarding his whereabouts. Probably because the German government took all their money. Well, both these findings didn't look good in the press. They served to elevate rumors that he wasn't actually kidnapped, right? Right. So the authorities are looking into this guy's, like, he owes money, and all of a sudden the family's like, you know what, just kidding, we're not going to offer a reward anymore. You're right, it's probably because they didn't have any money left. Yeah, they were just... But to everyone else, it kind of looks like, oh, well, obviously he just flew the coop and is living out in Mexico and of or course, wherever. The, the populace is like some rich Porsche tuner guy. And yeah. Just, they oh, want, yeah. For they sure. want to burn to burn the guy to the ground anyway. Yeah. So according to the Sunday Times of Johannesburg, police believed the Gambala had simply gone into hiding to avoid creditors. That's a direct quote from the paper. Fast forward to August 23rd. The Gambala company reopens its doors with new CEO Andreas Schwartz. Then, in October, eight months after he went missing, Uwe Gambala's corpse is unearthed in a shallow grave near Johannesburg. He was shot in the head, execution style, with his hands tied behind his back after being forced to suffocate with a plastic bag tied around his head. <laughs> so, what the hell happened? Right, what happened? Why Do, 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 the, do the authorities at this point know that he went to see this crazier guy? Because if they know they're going to go see the crazier guy, obviously he's going to get murdered. I mean, can we not? How stupid are the cops? Why aren't we putting two and two together here? Well, because most of them are on Crazier's payroll, Chris. That's probably true. Yes. So it seems that this business deal in South Africa goes a little deeper than simply planning on opening a new dealership. Apparently not deeper than a shallow grave. <laughs> Good call there. Good call there. Investigators revealed that Gambala was likely involved in an international money laundering scheme. A report in the South African Mail and Guardian suggests that Ravnak Kreger was bringing money into South Africa in Gambala cars, but one car apparently arrived without its cargo. Uh-oh. One former associate of Kreger told police that Kreger planned to get rid of Gambala. Investigators then linked that cell phone call from him that was used to call his wife to Kreger's associate. So they know the phone call came from his guys. Okay. We can assume the call was kind of like a last ditch effort to repay this missing shipment. Yeah. And then they just, the money never so, came. Yeah, so. Th so it goes, you know, Crazier probably called him down. Like we got a problem with our money laundering operation here. He goes down there. He's like, oh crap. Like I didn't know it wasn't in there. Let me call my wife and try to get it for you guys as they're holding a gun to his head. Right. And that was it. Then they never got the money or they right. got the money. And, and then killed him anyways. Who knows? Um, but alas, Uwe Gambala had been killed within three days of arriving in South Africa. They didn't find him until eight months later. He was only down there three days before they shot him. Wow. Didn't really give the guy much of a chance, did he? No. And it's crazy how they described what happened to him. So, yeah, they like you can imagine him like kneeling down. Hands tied behind his his back, and they put a bag over his head. So he's starting to suffocate. Well, that was probably the torture. Was they put a bag right. over his head and then took it off and put it on and took it off. Where's, and then where's my money? Him. And then yep. that was the end of that. Right. Okay. So Gimbala's murder heightened suspicions that organized crime in South Africa is rooted in the corruptibility and instability of the police. Yes, <laughs> of course. So lead investigator was removed from Gambala's case in November after a laptop that had been seized from the murder scene mysteriously disappeared from his office. 
well, gee whiz, Captain, I just wanted to bring it home and like help on the case after hours, man. Honest. I, I needed an update in my Windows XP. <laughs> yeah. So that guy no longer on the case. Obviously, he was working for Crazier. It took three more years for the South African police to mount enough evidence and to work behind all these corrupt cops to convict Radovan Crazier. So he's convicted. He was arrested then once they had enough evidence on November 22nd, 2013, relating to charges of attempted murder and kidnapping. Meanwhile, because this story is just as crazy as the cars Gimbalas made originally, quote, Ledwaba, an alleged associate of convicted drug dealer Radovan Krasier, escaped from the Palm Ridge Magistrate's Court in March, days before being sentenced. A court order was charged with helping him escape. Ludba and his co-accused at the time, Garland Holworthy and Thalbo Mahupi, Mahapi, I don't know, had been <laughs> convicted of Ngabala's murder, kidnapping, and theft. So these were his henchmen that actually pulled the trigger. Right, right. It just, it's an crazy twist that I had to include. One of the guys escaped. Escaped. Now, how do they know it was him? Did he have his wallet in his back pocket One, or something? There was four guys. One of them basically made a plea deal and told, uh, everyone told them what happened, what happened. Okay. And then, so this one guy is literally at the court in March to get like, what did they say to basically sentence him and, and he's gone and with a court orderly helped him and he's gone. They later caught him. But again, it was just another weird thread in this whole story. That's like, well, that's weird. The lifestyles of the rich and famous, something like that. Gentlemen. So whatever came of Gambala, the company, well, as I mentioned, CEO Andreas Schwartz and investor Stefan Korbach were able to buy the brand and naming rights from Gambala in August of 2010 when all this was happening and establish it under the new name Gambala GmbH. So they basically reopened it under new ownership. Right. Okay. Then in 2016. It, it didn't get any better looking. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So then fast forward to Hold 2016. On. We have to what? make sure that our stuff stays ugly. <laughs> <laughs> we can't improve. They have a customer base. They have a customer base. <laughs> Remember that avalanche we made? Everything's got to look just, just like, like that. that. Let's make it more futuristic, but still have all of the vents. The new Gimbala car that just came out has a huge bump on the hood like a Dodge Charger does. Sure. For the engine that's not even there. Sure. It just doesn't make I, any they sense. They really must have a five-year-old come in and be like, it needs a vent right here. Needs another wing. I think that's Toyota. Yeah, they have a lot of going on styling-wise, don't they? Yes, they do. Okay. In 2016, Stefan Klorbach uh, became the sole CEO of the company, and Alexander Schwartz stepped down. So, Kambal is still making cars, as you said, and is now vying to become an official automotive manufacturer at this point, putting itself with the likes of Roof with its own VIN numbers. So, they're trying to get to the point where they're recognized as a manufacturer and aren't just modifying Porsches. Um, however, I find it kind of sad that... In my research, nowhere on the company's website or any of its marketing does it mention Uve. Well, there's a reason for that. They, they obviously are trying to distance themselves from all the crazy bad PR. I'm sure. That but would, it's just sad it, that I mean, that's, that's the namesake, the company's namesake. Well, it sounds like if the guy was involved in some money laundering scheme, he got what he had coming. Yeah, kind of. Right? I mean, yeah. you can't really feel bad for the guy. I know. Living a uh, basically a playboy lifestyle, laundering money and sending cars full of cash down well, to South Africa. Well, I still Africa. don't know, and I'm not convinced that he was living the playboy lifestyle. You because think someone else, like one of his underlings, was doing this? Or No, I just think because I said he was, like, so, was so out of the limelight, I don't know if he was just a legit business guy who then was like put in a corner with everything going bad, and he's like, well, here's one way I can try to keep it afloat. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think he was the coke fueled crazy guy. Nobody, nobody really deserves to die, obviously. Right. But it's it's hard to feel bad for. No, him. I know. I'm just the, the picture that was painted in my mind by researching all this is he isn't the coke fueled playboy in the 80s. Right. He's the business guy selling to all those guys. The guy going greed is good. Right. <laughs> yes. There you go. He's more on that side. All right. So that's the crazy story. And before I end, I want to say. Have you ever been to see a Marvel movie in the theater? Of course. So there's this odd phenomenon where the movie ends, the credits start to roll, but no one gets out of their seat. It's because there's a there's an ending for the next part of the story. There's at the end of the always credits. a post credit scene nowadays, right? right? What do we got? And how disappointed is it when there isn't one? You're like, why did I just wait eight minutes of my life learning who the caterer is for the electrician for the studio that movie used on location in Patagonia? Right. So rest assured. Here's your post credit scene. All right. Italian news outlet. Quote, a $1.5 million Pagani Zonda registered in Monaco spun out of control at 199 miles per hour earlier this week on Italy's A10 Autostrada. According to reports, forensics have revealed that the driver lost control at approximately 320 kilometers an hour, sending the $1.5 million supercar into a spin. It hit a guardrail on its right side, lost a wheel, overturned, shot across the roadway where it collided with a Mercedes with whom the driver was apparently racing and came to rest on the opposite guardrail. Both the 28-year-old driver and his 21-year-old Lithuanian passenger were unhurt. The driver? None other than the new Gambala owner, Stefan Korbach. <laughs> oh, no. But, but he's not he's driving a Zonda, not a Gambala Porsche? Yeah, exactly. But in a statement from Korbach, he claims the news had to be all wrong, Chris. To be fair... When you look at a Pagani, <laughs> you go, well, that has a little bit of more styling and restraint, a little, no. which is hard to say. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's almost like it's, it's made out for there the, too, right? Yeah, when you're when you're a Gambala <laughs> fan and you don't want a Porsche, you buy a Zonda. That's very true. Because they are out there. So anyways, this hit the Italian news and uh, this Korbash goes, oh, no, you guys, they, the news had it all wrong. He claims the accident took place about 500 meters after a construction site with a speed limit of 60 kilometers an hour. And as he was leaving the 60 kilometer limit section, you have to accelerate a little. He accelerated and suddenly he hit a large sheet of water at the speed of now 100 kilometers an hour. And according to this information, the puddle was in the middle of the highway and appeared out of nowhere in front of him. As a result of hitting the water, he claims he then lost control, hitting the guardrail, blah, 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 and, and the guardrail and everything else. But when you see the photo of this car, you go, there's no way that damage was done at 60 miles an hour. Even. Right. Yeah, no way. No uh -huh. way. Uh-huh. That's how it happened. So either way, I the, thought it was the, only fitting. The drama continues. That the legacy of such a crazy story and the guy behind it who built this empire is being carried on by another, uh, we'll say, radical. Nice. Nice work on another uh, history episode. That was interesting. And I've always wondered about that story, but never took the time to look into it. Now and you I'm know. I'm glad I didn't, because now I got to just <laughs> take, it all, just take in. it all in. All right, so let's get into a little bit of news. Sure. Um, so I dug around, and there's not a lot of really interesting news, but there's some really... Um, I, there's not a lot of news, but there's some very interesting news. Okay. I guess I should have said so it that way. So we're going to say quantity over quality this week. Right. Um, so... The uh, Tesla is doing something really, really weird, and I didn't know that they were doing this. So they are selling their their their. They got rid of some some of the Tesla models, and what they're doing is okay. they put, they put the same battery pack in all of their cars, but the range is different. 
So, so it's they, all software? It's all software. So if you want to step up and buy, to get more range, you have to step right. up, but it's the same car, but it's a software limitation. Wow. But guess guess what the craziest part of this is. How much do you think it costs to add ludicrous mode to your vehicle? So ludicrous mode was just where you, it was actually an Easter egg, if you remember. Mm-hmm. On the original one, it wasn't even like a feature of the car. It was the Easter egg where you went to the menu, hit control, delete, and then it got you all of the power. Right, and made it look like Star Wars. Right, on the so now they're taking like that. that out and charging extra for yeah, it. Yeah, what do you think it costs? Well, I can read it right here. <laughs> 20 grand. $20,000. That's for ridiculous. Ludicrous that is insane. So wow. I don't really, I, I don't understand. It's a six figure car, you know, a Tesla Model S or Model X or whatever. So like $100,000. You're going to add 20% to the price <laughs> just so you can have ludicrous mode. And just, I don't know. I, I Yeah, I, no, that's, I, I, is he pulling a gimbala? Is he hurting for money here? I, so they uh, they did turn a profit this last quarter. I did see that. Um, they, Do you know why that was, though? No, what happened? The carbon credits. Remember, oh, we talked about this. The they just credits. cashed That's in all right. their carbon credits That's because right. they're able to sell all their allocated carbon credits to other manufacturers who That's need true. to then use those that is on not, the market. That's, that's not sustainable. I know that they're sitting on like 6,800 Teslas, right. Tesla Model 3s that they can't sell. They're right. Just I remember there. reading that. And too. I think that at this point, that car is, seems to everybody to be an old model. Kind of. You know, it's been a wrong. I mean, it took so long to get here. Right. But its lifespan. Yeah. Like is it done. should have a refresh or. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know what you do. Well, I can tell you if I'm going to fast forward here because this is a good segue into a new story that I found. Sure. Is it's going to get blown away by some of the other competitors. It out is. There. It is. No matter I mean, how good Tesla is. Audi is taking tons of orders on their e-tron stuff. Right. Volkswagen's uh, is coming out with theirs next month. We talk right. about this all the time. So but Porsche, of course, has their Taycan coming out. It will give Taycan buyers three years of free 30 minute charging sessions at all Electrify America stations throughout the country. I don't know. Is there an Electrify America station? So the network, I looked into this because I didn't know anything about it. They currently have 300 stations in 42 states and will gain more as the commercial debut of the Taycan approaches because they're also investing then in infrastructure for this. So the big thing with Tesla is everybody's always talking about their network or whatever. But if this Electrify America thing is all over the place and you can get free charging, then why wouldn't you? It'd be like buying a car from, I don't know, Toyota or any major manufacturer and getting three years of free gas. Right. That's that's a sweet incentive. Sounds good. Sounds pretty good to me. Right. It would be nice not to have to plug the thing in at home at all as well. True. Just to never have to have to do that. Right. So um, AAA is sick of all the technology names. Now, they did a study, and I'm going to read you kind of what the study was, okay. and then we're going to go through how ridiculous. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I did not know how insane this part of the industry was. Okay. Advanced driver assistance systems have become increasingly prevalent on new vehicles. In fact, at least one ADAS feature is now available on 92% of new vehicles available in the United States. Okay. Well, I can understand that if you're considering cruise control and advanced adaptive cruise control okay okay so we're gonna talk so it is like okay it's dynamic stuff it's dynamic stuff not only are these advanced driver assistance assistance systems within financial reach of new car consumers at about two thousand dollars for each bundle they have they also have the potential to avoid or mitigate the severity of a crash however the terminology used to describe them varies widely and often seems to prioritize marketing over clarity mm-hmm. the lack of standardized names for automotive systems adds confusion for motorists when researching and using advanced safety systems so 
when you click on this PDF, it is insane. It, it's like page after page after page. And so this is all the systems that manufacturers are yeah, like, offering and what they're naming. Like them. collision warning, dynamic driving assistance type things, adaptive okay. cruise control. So I'm just going to go through the list of adaptive cruise control. And then you. Th oh, so this is just what manufacturers are calling adaptive cruise control. Right. These are all the different things. All the different manufacturers call adaptive cruise control. Okay. Adaptive cruise control. That makes sense. <laughs> adaptive like cruise control with low speed follow. Adaptive cruise control with Q assist. Adaptive cruise control with stop. Adaptive cruise control with stop and go, advanced smart cruise control, all speed dynamic cruise control, camera based cruise control, distance assist, assist, distance pilot, distronic, distronic active, distronic plus, dynamic radar cruise control, Ooh. high speed dynamic radar cruise control. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you just gotta keep adding like modifiers to it, right? Dynamic radar cruise control is fine, but man, let me get you into this vehicle that has got the high speed Super dynamic. Super awesome high speed dynamic radar cruise control with lasers. Intelligent cruise control. Whoever chose that is like everybody else. This is way unintelligent. Way stupid. Stupid. <laughs> um, OEM one, adaptive cruise control with stop and go. OEM two, radar cruise control, smart cruise. Stop, start, traffic aware, cruise control. So there's 20 of them. Wow. Across all the different manufacturers. Right. Now, if when you look at the PDF, which will, it's in the show notes, I'll put it there. Right. You can look at it and see how it, it's incredible. It's absolutely insane. So there's got to, I just want to mention, there's got to be some sort of standard it that's, makes sense. that's being done for this. Yeah. But the problem is, is that nobody, this stuff is moving so fast and right. what it, what it's capable of changes so rapidly because for a while there, the adaptive cruise control was just like, it'll just keep a distance right. between you and the car in front of you. Now it will do that or it will stop the car if someone right. stops. So it's like it can't really be called the same thing. True. So how do you create a stand for this standard for this when the technology uh, development is moving so quickly? So quickly. Yeah, so that makes sense. We'll see where that goes. But check that PDF out. It's kind of comical. All the different things yeah, no that kidding. are out there. Um, so Volkswagen, we know that they were working together with Ford. Right. Now we kind of know what Volkswagen is giving Ford, and, okay. it, and it is their MEB platform. So now that is the platform that um, they're building all their electric vehicles on. So okay. we're basically going to have Fords, their electric vehicles are going to be Volkswagens. Is that huh. kind of what I'm gathering from this? or Kind of like how the Toyota Supra is actually a BMW Z4? Exactly like that. But what I want to I mean, I'm not surprised. Like, I think platform sharing like this, we're going to just keep seeing more of. Right. Volkswagen wants its modular car platform to become a standard, not only for the Volkswagen group. VW in January said it was constructive talks to share the MEB platform with Ford, which it with which it entered into wide ranging partnership. The automaker is also investing. Get ready for it. One point two billion euros wow. to convert a factory in Germany to hold to build up to three hundred thirty thousand electric vehicles per year, including the ID, the sister models for Audi and Seat based on the electric car platform. The company plans to introduce blah, blah, blah. We already know all that stuff. But monumental shift for Volkswagen continues. Wow. It's, it's still going. Um, Volkswagen, without even trying, sold 100,000 electric-based cars in 2018. I think they probably were trying a little bit, Chris. Not like Tesla's trying. They only sold 182,000. <laughs> okay. So it's just without really making much of an effort. They're not really marketing. You can buy an e-golf here. You should buy one. Have you? Did you ever see it marketed? Did you ever no, see? No, it's a good point. I mean, they're not really trying right, right. now. Um, I think they see the hybrid stuff and the electric stuff they have now is nowhere near as good as everything that's going to be coming out. Right. So we'll, we'll see uh, how things go. Um, the new Ford Ranger. Yes. Is hotcakes. Okay. It is hotcakes. It's uh, they, so are they out yet? They you can order them. I think okay. they said they sold they sold like sixteen hundred of them in January oh, or something or? like that. Um, 
I mean, they, I like the look of them. Yeah, they don't look bad. It's just a small truck. It's twenty five, twenty to twenty five thousand dollars okay. for that instead of twenty five to thirty for an F one fifty. They said based on the orders coming in and based on the hand raisers, we think the demand is going to be strong within starting in February. Our assembly plant will be going into massive overtime with three hundred thousand consumers that have indicated plans to purchase one. Wow, which is in, it's incredible. Um, but that reminds me of the old. Uh, the old four ranger that was right. made right here in, in St. Paul. And it's too bad. It didn't continue. Cause this is literally the same thing. Just a new version of it. Yeah. It's right. It's, and so, yeah, I mean, it's close to home here for us in the twin cities, but that was such a huge plant. It employed all these people here. And then they, they basically gave the market up to Toyota and just were yeah, like, I yeah, we're not going right. to be doing small trucks anymore. And then they must've noticed like a severe loss in market share of some sort right. or another. And then that was, that was it. So the St. Paul plant here was closed and torn down right. and guess what they're building instead. I heard it was some like development. It or is some- a green urban area with car free and car light lifestyles. That's the first time I've heard the term car Car light. light. It's car like light. Diet Coke. It's like Diet Coke for <laughs> driving. Um, so, okay. I. Why on the Ford plant grounds, though? Doesn't that seem so sacrilegious to be like, we're going to make a new area where you can't have cars, where we used to build millions much, of cars. How much do you want to bet that this is just like a power play? They're just taking their boot and putting it on their neck and going, look what we can do. Here's what they're doing. The development's nucleus of housing, businesses, and shops would be balanced by a European-style public plaza. In several parks, with 21% of the site set aside for green space. Its centerpiece is landscaped stream created to manage stormwater that would restore an often dormant waterfall that flows nearby into the Mississippi. How quaint. Well, I can tell you, like, it might be fun to bring your kids down there and visit and do window shopping, whatever else. But I do not like urban planning. When they're trying to use urban planning to shift the way society functions yeah. and the way that it interacts with the way that it currently lives. I don't like that. Why don't they just say, Hey, the land's for sale and like, it's going to be all, zone all play, this, zone that, whatever. I'll play devil's advocate as I always do. If there wasn't already a market for this, if people weren't going to buy the spaces in this planned environment, they wouldn't build it That's, or put it a different way. They're going to build it and people are going to buy into it. Because they like it. They want it. They will, but people might not be willing to buy it if it wasn't for the incredible tax breaks that they get. Oh, you think so? Oh, I'm sure. I'm, anytime you do stuff like this, you get tax breaks. If if you start a business here in this area, you don't have to pay sales tax sure. for a year or whatever like that. Okay. So it saves you a ton of money. I see what you mean. So I, I, yeah. I'm not sure if I that agree exists with in this case, but... If just, there is like a huge funding, it's benefit been sitting or vacant since it's there's still nothing there. If yeah. they just would. I mean, it's full of like arsenic and oil and everything else. It's, <laughs> It'll be great for that stream that's going through. Exactly. It. <laughs> that, imagine the, the cost of the environmental cleanup that must. I don't know. Must be going you, on there. This is off topic. But do you were you ever into like the urban exploring crowd? Yeah, a little bit. I did some weird stuff. I didn't go into the Ford tunnels. The that are Ford over. tunnels were supposed to be like the most phenomenal thing in the area until people died because there was no oxygen in them. Well, that's a small <laughs> down point. <laughs> I did do a little bit of urban exploring running around in, in abandoned buildings. Yes. Yeah. It, okay. was, it was a, it was a good time. Anyways. So wh- how do you think this will affect the F-150? You think people will buy the Ranger instead of the F-150? Maybe. I, because a lot of F-150 sales are because 
Ford guys are Ford guys, right? Right. Always going to have an F-150. I think, I think that's the way the Chevy guys probably oh, are. I, yeah, no, I'm not saying it's any different okay. anywhere else. I mean, but if you're a Ford truck man, remember this song? I'm a Ford truck man. That's all I drive. <laughs> literally, literally that describes them. <laughs> I've never heard that song. Oh, but. it's a song. Yeah. Ford truck man. That's all I drive. Okay. Well, yeah. If you want to downsize a little bit, now you can still be a Ford truck man in your Ranger. I think most people don't need a full size truck anyway. Yeah, no one's. I, I don't. You always make fun of me for having a not real truck, but it works well. That's because well your truck pretends it's a Hummer, so it should be a real truck. Right, your truck pretends to be a real truck. A Ranger is not pretending to be a real truck. You have like giant tires and wheels, and uh-huh. it's a manual transmission and four wheel drive. What? Oh, I was gonna play Ford truck man. Oh <laughs> no, <laughs> it's all a right. Toby I'm a Ford truck. Commercial. Okay, I'm <laughs> that's all that you up. need. That's, that's all you need. <laughs> he doesn't compromise. That's, that's no, all you know. so he ain't maybe, got no boundaries. Maybe he'll compromise and get a four range. <laughs> I think you would. <laughs> all right. Next on the news list is uh, I want to ask you before. Don't even look at it. Okay. Okay. I, I don't look at the story because I kind of want to go through it and this get your reaction. Surprise. Okay. Yeah. So what are some things that are disgusting to touch? If you could think of any things that are like, you don't want to touch that. It's gross. Um, cleaning out the fridge, like moldy leftovers. That's kind of gross. Okay. You got to use your fingers to scrape it in the trash. That, that doesn't um, happen to me, but it's dog awesome. poop, cleaning up dog poop. That's gross. I'm thinking of things that you touch like on a daily basis, I, like cleaning out the fridge and dog poop. <laughs> okay. In a quest, of, <laughs> we'll just move on. In a quest to find out how germy the inside of an average car is CarRentals.com surveyed a thousand drivers to see how often People actually vacuum and sanitize the inside of their vehicles. The findings are pretty scary. A shocking 32% of drivers rarely clean out the inside of their vehicle, doing so only once a year. Another 12% never do it. So the average steering wheel, which was found to have 629 CFUs, which is a well, yeah? What's a CFU? A colony forming unit. This <laughs> 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 just sounds disgusting. Oh man! So, so going back to biology class in high school here, and you have a little petri dish, you know, and you can form the colony of all the bacteria. It's in a centimeter, so it's however many colony forming units are, are in, a in a centimeter. Yeah, okay. per centimeter was far dirtier than some of the most frequently touched spaces, including. It's six times dirtier than the average cell phone screen at 100 Oh, yeah, CFUs. those are pretty gross, I bet. Four times dirtier than a public toilet. <laughs> oh, really? Two times dirtier than the public elevator buttons. Oh, I um, never thought of that. They don't wash those, do they? Yeah, the, it, it, I just think it's it's dirtier than your phone, which is like all over your hands. And, you're and touching every it. time you go poop, what are you doing? You're, you're on, on your, your phone. phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But get this. The, the grossest thing that has to do with cars that you touch is the gas pump buttons. Oh, really? Yes. If you thought touching public elevator buttons or sitting on a public toilet was bad, the germs found at gas pumps might send shivers up your spine compared to other public locations where I almost want to read it like every time they say it, where the colony forming units count was in the hundreds. The average gas pump is in the millions. What? While these numbers are extremely high, not all bacteria found at gas pumps are dangerous. However, some bacteria like Staphylococcus uh-huh. are responsible for multiple complications, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, aka staph infection, right. blood infection. Uh, right, Achilles. Another strong reason to wash your hands and sanitize your vehicle after visiting the pump. So I this is funny because my wife is in healthcare and being a germaphobe in healthcare, she always has the little like travel things of yeah. uh, hand wash stuff. Yep. And so every time I pump the cast, she'd come back. Oh, give me your hand. They smell. And I was, I'm like, I'm just rolling my eyes every time. Like not anymore. You're not. gel. But she was right is what you're telling me. She was right. 
So I will tell you what I do is I take the gas nozzle out and I use the nozzle to push the select of what grade you want. I usually do that too, just out of laziness. And so I was like, oh, this doesn't affect me. But then you still have to type in like, oh, do you want the car wash? No. Right. What's your zip well, here, code? Let me tell you okay. this. Um, CFUs yeah. on the regular button, uh-huh. 3.2 million. Wow. On the premium button, 2 million. See? <laughs> gotta go just with saying. that premium. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta go. It's another reason to put premium you in your car. You know what I can tell but you? Here, what does that say about uh, the people that fill their vehicles and the people that uh, use regular fuel are dirtier? No, it's just more put, frequently used, Chris. I know, but that's not as fun. You know what? I bet the CFUs right now in Minnesota on those gas pumps, zero. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably true. Um, I'm also wondering what's on a diesel handle, and then I realize that nothing survives. Right. No, it's just, handle. yeah. It's just covered with That's a cleaner. Oil, that's a so. solvent, baby. So anyway, the, uh, the gas pump button, 11,835 times dirtier than a toilet seat. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, so, don't, I don't know what our takeaway is there. <laughs> There's no takeaway. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> that certainly so is. I, but I will continue to uh, not wash my hands after I fill up my car because I truly feel that over over soaping and over oh, like, it's sanitizing. I know. You got to build up that tolerance, You got to build up that tolerance. Anyway, um, make sure you guys head over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. Yep. And uh, with some words, that'd be really, really great. It really helps us out in the podcast rankings. Um, Share with your friends and social media. Yep. If you can find us at, at Overcrest Podcast is, is where we're located on social media, Facebook, Instagram, gotcha. everything else. Take care, guys. We'll see you next week. with a. Uh, we're going to have Patrick George from Jalopnik. Oh, awesome. The, uh, the editor there is going to be on the podcast. So we're going to talk to him. And uh, we're going to talk about the, the shifting you know, culture with the automotive industry in terms of journalism. Going to find out some of... Uh, because he really did a lot for Jalopnik. Sure. You know, they used to be part of, um, what was it called? Oh, um, Gawker? Gawker. Yeah. And Gawker Media went under and Jalopnik really dra- was really dragged out of okay. the swamp by Patrick. So I want to talk to him about That'll that That'll be as interesting. Well. Yeah. yeah. So I really look forward awesome. to that episode. So we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Take care. Bye.